Hi and welcome to episode 28 of the Barnsley Museums podcast. In this episode you are going to hear from Dana Kubik who is an author and illustrator of award-winning children's books. Dana has also designed an astonishing range of products from tints to ice cream cones and in this interview we are going to focus on her time as a commercial artist with Barnsley Cancer Company in the 1980s. This interview was recorded by our community heritage curator Stephen Skelly in July 2018, so and if ever I do, I'm going to hand you over to Stephen. Um, okay, uh, my name's uh, Stephen Skelly and I'm here in uh, Knurth in London, uh, in, on, in Clapham with, uh, with Dana Kubik and the date is the 29th of the 10th, not, uh, 2018 if I get that right. <laughs> um, and it's about five o'clock in the evening and uh, I've just come to Dana's beautiful studio um, overlooking her beautiful garden to just uh, have a quick chat about um, her involvement as an artist for the Barnsley Canister Company and Hunky Dory Designs. Um, so Dana, thank you for um, agreeing to have a little chat with me. Oh, it's um, been a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you, thank you, and thanks for your generosity of time already. Um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions, really. Um, um, we had previous phone conversations, so mm-hmm. it's basically kind of uh, that sort of thing, really. So could you tell me kind of your first... Uh, Dealings. How did you kind of first come across Barnsley Canister Company? Well, I, I approached Hunky Dory. I'd already been doing pop-up cards with Hunky Dory. And I had been longing to work in tin, because I've always loved tin toys. And having been thwarted by working with a friend to recreate Victorian tin toys, I thought combining a can, some sort of box or a container with a shaped element to it would have sort of the fun of a tin toy but be more practical and something that would sort of fit Hunky Dory's range better. So I've made a little mock-up. I took a couple of snuff-sized tins that I had and painted over that, added a clay cat, sleeping cat, on the top and um, and then did a dog one, dog version as well, um, and approached Brian Shawcross of Hunky Dory and he said, as he, he's a very wonderful person to work with, he usually said, yes, that's wonderful, let's do it. So I actually went up with him to Barnsley Canister, and we met Lawrence Pritchard, who was the head of develop, uh, design development, and Alan Wade, who was the commercial manager. And I remember sitting at a sort of huge director's table with you know, seats and space on either side, with Brian and I on one side, and Mr. Pritchard and Mr. Wade on the other side. And I had these little shaped tins. Some of the Victorians did shaped tins, so I knew it was entirely possible, and I was just really using their ideas, but for um, something new and personal to me, having been in love with dogs and cats for my all of my life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Mr. Wade at first said it wasn't going to work, it's not possible. But fortunately, Mr. Pritchard at his side had a much, well, I'd call it twinkling eyes, but he just, he was so much more receptive and I could just see his creative mind spinning in there. And he asked if he could borrow the tins. He just put his hand over and actually moved the little, the little mock-ups that I had made over to his side of the table, asked if he could borrow it, just to have a look at it. And of course he made them work and we did cats and dogs that sold in hundreds of thousands. And that led to doing a completely three-dimensional tin. The first one I did was a little teddy bear shape and that sold in the millions, which was 
really great, especially since I was just moving into a house that had dry rot and damp. And my plumbers thank you, and my um, electricians thank you. And Mark and I got to move into a house that was sort of not falling down around our ears, mainly because of all these little tins, the royalties from little tins, which has um, really saved our bacon that, that through doing that. And it's something I've loved forever. And I, um, this, that was the first meeting I had with Mr. Pritchard and Mr. Wade was in April of 1983, because I happened to find the letter where the, Mr. Wade wrote to say, it was nice to meet you yesterday. So I know exactly when. So and I'm still doing designing tins now for new companies. And sadly, they usually get manufactured in China, which I don't have the same lovely working relationship that I had with Mr. Pritchard. I miss that. Yeah, so Mr. Pritchard and Mr. Wade were canister company, worked for canister companies, and Brian Shawcross was the link through the That's Hunky right, Dory yeah. He, he, he did ha ha Hunky Dory Designs uh, commissioned work from people like me, and then he he was the one who really made it happen. He knew of Barnsley Canister. Um, I was I went along with him, but I mean, a lot of times he would just take do that part of it by himself. And he marketed them all incredibly successfully. Um, and so that was the first time that I knew about Barnsley Canister and met anyone there. And first time I've actually been to Barnsley. So it was all, it was all rather wonderful. I was very lucky because it's been an important part of my design life ever since then. I've done other things and the um, teddy bear tins that I did, which is one of the first shape tins that we did, led to all kinds of things I would have never guessed at the time when I was first doing them. Um, would you like me to yeah, tell more of that story? Absolutely, yeah. So, so, so the, the famous teddy bear tins, which are absolutely charming um, and designed in all different kind of, uh, kind of themes. Um, well, there were, I think, three or four different sets. There were seven designs in a set, and that was mainly dictated by the size of the tin plate because they get printed mm. flat. I'd have to work out the distortion so that when they were, the flat tin was pushed through the tooling, it would all come back in the right place. It's a bit like um, taking the foil off of an Easter bunny, that it all looks right, but when you open it flat, it's, you know, the eyes are a bit far apart and the ears <laughs> look a bit funny. Well, there's, you know, that, the artwork had to look a bit funny and it would um, get pressed through. Um, and Pornsley were very good at giving me uh, the time and the resources to do a line drawing first. So we would try out whether my plan of how the distortion worked actually did work, and if there's any corrections I needed in the, that later stage, which was, that was really so wonderful for me. That was really helpful. Um, and the, so the, the Tin Bears had, uh, had a Christmas set had, I think, two different sets of seven of sort of general ones that included a birthday one and a biker and a, a ballet bear. And I happened to uh, meet someone who suggested I should take my portfolio to Walker Books. And the idea of doing children's books with the best children's book publisher was really uh, very exciting for me and I so I went in I brought some little tins just because that's was a big part of my my work and some of the other work that I'd done pop-ups and um, 
Wendy Bowes, who was the editor at Walker Books and one of the three people who started Walker Books, along with Sebastian Walker and Amelia Edwards, she was really intelligent enough and creative enough to see the tins and say, these make nice little characters. Can we do books with these characters? And that led to a set of baby board books that I did, four baby board books that Mother Care, Terence Conman took from Mother Care, um, which was the first order was for 140,000 books. So that, that was made everybody happy. And a little bit later, Wendy asked if we could do our own book. We sort of considered going into to Mother Care again, but she actually decided she wanted to keep it in-house. She liked it so much that baby boy books had done so well. So I did a, I actually wrote this, but with Wendy's help, because she's was a wonderful editor. I, I did an illustrated book called Midnight Teddies that inc again included a couple of the bears, but the story dictated needed a, a, a new one, a, an older bear in a sailor suit. And, um, and that, that was a really successful book. But it led to places I wasn't really anticipating. Um, a man called Philip Marcantonio was reading Midnight Teddies to his, his granddaughter. And looking at the bears that I had illustrated, he realized that these were the bears he had always thought he wanted on ice cream wafers, because that was his job. He, he did, ran Marcantonio Foods that did all kinds of ice cream products. And they did the very traditional ice cream wafers and ice cream cones and things. And he had already asked his designer to do a set of bear shapes and disliked them so much that he wouldn't even show me what this man had done. <laughs> so I just started from scratch. Well, not from scratch, because I knew that he liked the bears in the book. And in fact, there's a little bear with uh, dungarees on that appeared in the baby board books, appeared in Midnight Teddies, and appeared as an ice cream wafer. I end up doing a little family because it's printed on a sort of pancake, and that was divided into eight segments. And there's a, a metal die that comes down. My, my illustrations were engraved, were cut into this metal plate. That went down and touched the batter and caramelized the sugar, which turned it brown. So it looked like brown illustrations on the teddy bear wafers. And um, that led to ice cream cones and <laughs> um, ice cream cups. And they made products for cafe so there's I've got a clock ticking away in the background that uh, has the teddy bears on it that they made for cafes for Mark Antonio Foods um, and he made little bears he, he, there's a bear little toy bear that they did a special promotion for with um, he saved up box tops I think and and sent them away and got a little stuffed bear and they Walker Books had by this time done several different editions of Midnight Teddies and had done some miniature editions, three different ones, a soft cover and two different forms of hard cover. And funnily enough, it went full circle because Mark Antonio did a special offer where you got a free little teddy book, which was the book that inspired the bears in the first place. So there were children who started with their wafers and then got a little copy of Midnight Teddies um, with their generous offer. So, um, and it's, it's gone in other directions. I've done pop-up cards and uh, it's gone in some surprising directions too. So the little bears 
lived on for quite a long time. I hear something about a tattoo. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> uh, not very long ago, I got a, a message through Facebook from a woman I didn't know who, was, who found my name there saying that she had... Um, had received one of my pop-up cards. It's, it's called, it's a teddy bear's picnic card. So it actually has all of the bears that exist as tin boxes. They appear having a little pop-up teddy bear's picnic. Um, it was given to her by her favorite cousin who really became an important person in her life. And this woman called Amy um, really grew very fond of this card. I think mainly because of the attachment she had with the woman who gave it to her. And she used she traveled quite a lot. She would always bring this pop-up card around with her. And um, sadly, her older cousin died of cancer when she was only in her late 40s or 50s. And Amy, they had been talking about getting tattoos at some earlier stage, and that didn't happen. So Amy thought the best thing she could do to remember her cousin, who she obviously loved very much, resulted in the tattoos from the teddy bear spectacle. There's the, there is the, the panda and the same pose that he exists in the pop-up card is now tattooed onto Amy's shoulder, which that was a surprise to get an email out of the blue with a photograph of a very beautiful woman with this very recognizable bear tattoo on her shoulder. That is just so, charming. You just never, never really know where these things might end up. So these bears were from the Barnsley Canister Company were auspicious and they kind of took you yes, places in your yes, life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there were lots of the bear tins sold in, in the millions. I mean, I was, I was told um, that they had a special little presentation box and a gold ribbon ready for the millionth teddy bear to come off the production line. Uh, but I only heard about this afterwards because somebody missed the millionth bear, so they never did it. I was really sad about that because I would have been happy with a millionth seventh bear or the million and two hundred and fiftieth bear. Could, could but, you uh, also could you could you tell me about? Um... You know, kind of your design process. Um, we've we've had conversations before where um, a lot of your own influences from your own life, your own pets, beloved pets, and uh, your husband Mark and and family members um, kind of influenced the the tins that you did for the Barnsley Chemist Company and after. Could you just kind of give me a few examples of those little kind of idiosyncrasies in in the tins coming through the detail? Well, almost all of my work has personal references in it, and something I. Well, I'm, I'm obviously inspired by the animals and people around me, but it's um, it's also it's a nice thing that I enjoy. So I know some people are going to recognise things that will be oblivious to most people. It's it's never intrusive, but the one of the teddy bears I had only just met this man who's been my husband for quite a while now, and um, so there is a panda bear with blue eyes, which is the first thing I noticed about Mark when we very first met. And he's wearing a yellow waistcoat, which Mark had, and he wore waistcoats a lot. I was particularly fond of this yellow one. And he never buckled the buckle in the back, and the little panda tin doesn't have a buckle, isn't not buckled up, it's hanging loose. And there's a sort of soft fold in the back that, if you know it's meant to be an M, you can see it's an M, but it's just, um, the folds of the waistcoat. But that's my Mark Bear that actually now more people than just Mark and me will know that's the case. 
and and also you've had some tins, uh, very successful tins with beautiful cats curled up on uh, cushions and newspapers, which are just charming. Um, and uh, these these cats are cats you knew too. Yes, yes, and they all they all have personal references too. So, so most of the cats and the dogs are cats and dogs that I know. And the the newspaper one was particularly fun because I decided to make as many of the newspaper stories in there. Not all the words are entirely legible, but the stories are all about places like Petworth and Catford and Atabi, which is where the um, where silks come from. Um, so there's a lot of little references. I actually did a, did a bit of uh, research and got as many names that were related to cat sort of names, cat references that I could and fit in as many stories as I can. And there is actually a um, chin and neck in the photograph that is Mark. And there's a, a sliver of a, another man that's photographed as part of the newsprint. And that's Brian Shawcross who ran Hunky Dory Designs, who was wonderful to work with. And we had a really happy relationship for for um, 11 years. So he commissioned great. a lot of the, the, he, the cat He commissioned uh, all tins. of the tins and uh, at that time. And um, and he was great. So he does appear in a, just a couple of things. <laughs> but it's, it's, always, it's always pretty discreet, so I don't think too many people know about that. Yeah, yeah. But now you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do, and thank you for sharing that with me. It's wonderful. Um, also, you kind of mentioned kind of when you visited Barnsley Canister Company, um, uh, we kind of the, the the building itself was very higgledy piggledy and kind of uh, went down a big hill. Uh, but kind of um, you kind of can you remember anything about the factory? You mentioned Mr. Pritchard. Uh, you could maybe elaborate on him a bit more. Or well, Mr. Pritchard was um, he was very important in my life because I I have literally been doing tins. Well, on and off, but ever since 1983, and so how many decades is that? I've sort of lost track. Um, <laughs> and I've, as Stephen has seen, I, my studio sort of almost just about rattles with all the tinware that's in, in here. Um, and I, Mark and I did go back one time, and we went to, to see the factory, and we, I was, we were with his two young children, who they, they appear in the newspaper printer doing cartwheels. Um, it was, it was one of the other little images. But we went and they were kindly, kindly took us around to show us the, the factory. And the kids were just amazed at these you know, big, huge machines who were actually making the little boxes that they played with at home. So that was a real joy. Was, they're very, everyone at Barnsley was so kind to us and really nice to be with. It was a really lovely experience. And uh, in the, the factory kind of um, employed a lot of uh, women. Kind of, uh, did you notice that? Um, probably a lot of men in the management, but the the factory was largely kind of female workers, as far as I uh, have sussed out myself mm -hmm. doing the research into the history. Have you got any thoughts on that, or kind of did you know anything about that? Or? Well, I, I, that's not something I did know. I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. But I I remember the atmosphere. I remember there being. Lots of women working, which was really nice. But, but it was it was the really, it was almost like walking into a family home. I mean, they really had a lovely, um, cohesive feeling, and people seemed to be working quite nicely together. And they, you could just tell if it's a happy workplace when you when you enter it. You don't even before you've talked to people, but everyone was very nice and very sweet to us. I think they actually enjoyed working on these little tins because I, I I think some of the other tin 
boxes and tin cans that they did before that were, you know, all very interesting. But I mean, to have these really playful little teddy bears and pussy cats and um, little carousel, little cakes, um, I, I would get feedback from from them sometimes that how much the the women on the production line and um, women and men in the production line actually enjoyed working on these very playful little things, wondering what was going to come up next. Well, they're just very charming and beautiful, yeah. Um, I think you mentioned to me in your, uh, uh, over the telephone in, in the past, that uh, some of the tins, the, the kind of tins, especially the cats, were sold just as decorative tins. They weren't the, the kind of, and then maybe kind of, was it Betty's used them? Yeah, yeah. Betty's in Harrogate would put um, little chocolates in them sometimes, but uh, Hunky Dory mainly sold them empty. And um, there was... There was one that was near the end of Barnsley's, the little, the bears on pillows. Uh, he had soaps made for that. That was, that was a nice product. Yeah. But uh, the tins I'm doing more recently have, increasingly have uh, products that are sourced by the tin company, little biscuits or, or sweets or something that are sold in. But they've all been sold empty as well as filled. And um, did, did you certainly kind of uh, your your background? You're from America, from, uh, uh, from and uh, kind of did 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 the kind of tins get sold over there that you knew? Oh of? yes, yeah, they they did. I'm from New York, and they got sold a lot. Um, and a very very proud moment was to see in New York or New York magazine that there was a little photograph of four tins, three of which were my design. And the comment was about how terribly English they were, which is one of the reasons why I stayed in this country. I mean, I, I was in love with England ever since I was two and got a, a um, nursery rhyme book from my godmother, illustrated by Blanche Fisher Wright, that had cottages with geese in front and patchwork fields and styles. And uh, despite being a real city kid, I was entranced by this and really always wanted to see it for myself. And I came here as a as a student, as an undergraduate student, and then a few more times as a visitor. I, I, was, a, I was a Beatles fan, so I was, you know, I loved everything. I was very excited to get to Carnaby Street for the first time. And um, I um, came to study photography originally, but I, by this time I had a portfolio of work, and I've always really enjoyed, I'm really not a fine artist. I've enjoyed, I was more as a craftsman who then uh, through, again, a lot of, most of the big things in my life happened somewhat accidentally. It was a, a course I accidentally took at the School of Visual Arts in New York City by a, with a, a man called Barry Zade who worked for Pushpin Studios, which was the best design studio in New York at that time. And he really changed my life because he really made me think of how I could use my interest in the craftsman part of this with my illustration skills. And that's really what I've been doing for my whole career. I mean, it's why I like the process of, and it's quite geometric. So I've, that's, I've made a whole career since ever, ever since I met Barry Zay. I had a portfolio of work that was mainly kind of packaging, but I always really loved having these extra poems. So I like doing the paper engineering for pop-up books. I'm now doing things that use stereoscopic images. I taught myself how to make a stereoscopic image and sourced where I can get lenses and did a, a pop-up book that has uses that we use the, the pop-up cottage and you look through the windows that have lenses in them and see a three-dimensional image come to life inside so but I've but that's really 
that's what I've enjoyed doing most and that's really given me a, a career and why I'm still in England. That's fantastic. Uh, come over. It's, it's really lovely. My very English style, my, yes. my very English work. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell you've made it though when you've got in the, the New Yorker kind of, uh, well, magazine. Well, it wasn't the New Yorker, it was New York magazine, New York which magazine. I mean was still, I mean, I, I, I hope I corrected myself because the New Yorker is probably the best magazine on the planet, maybe. <laughs> Um, and the New Yorker, I, but, but that's a magazine I was very fond of when I was there and when I was here. So, I no, that was a real thrill. But I have been in American publications since then. Yeah, yeah. But um, having my work described as so very English, which is, which is really what I enjoyed most about that. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I liked England, because it, uh, it has a sensibility and beauty. Um, I'm talking to Stephen a lot about architecture today and... We both really love that, and it's it has that variety and history and um, scale that I I just really respond to, and I've always loved and still love now. You like the de- the detail in your work. You kind of like a lot of detail, kind of uh, so kind of. Uh... Yeah, I tend to put in a lot of detail. Oh, that's the <laughs> I'm a bit stuff. notorious for it. Actually, people are always looking for more and more things, <laughs> but there are lots of little little stories that go into it that um, I don't, you don't need to have a written cap- caption to, uh, to enjoy it because it's there, it's all, it all looks like it's just there because it should be there. But um, my friends recognize little familiar things and, and I, that's something I enjoy. And I'm, I've done lots of animals and almost all of the animals are real animals that I've known. There's a whole set of cat tins and I recently, once I knew Stephen was interested in this, I went through my box of stuff, which isn't, now I call the archives, but it's actually just a box of stuff, Thank and you. found a, the first drawing where, where all the cats were named that I did with my, the first sketches that I did that ended up being a whole set of, uh, quite a large set of cat tins. Um, can I also ask you um, just just a little bit about the process there? The one thing that we kind of don't know very much about is how how a tin is actually made in terms of the printing process. Um, obviously, kind of you're not you're mm-hmm. not the printer, but but do, could you enlighten us on a little bit on the the quality of the work at Canist Company and how the print print job was done? Well, yes, and and thank goodness they did it so well, or else my my whole passion for doing tin boxes might have been very short. Um, but I, I, mean, I would do these little mock-ups with clay and hand-painted so they would have an idea of what it would look like when it's finished. And they would be responsible for transforming that into hard tooling, which costs often tens of thousands of pounds. And they would... Um, I, I, I thought the easiest way of doing this, so they would print a grid on flat tin work tin plate and that's just like paper printing it's photo litho offset printing and they would put this grid through the tooling that they just made and then I would get the the, the sample of of that it would be made in the shape but there's nothing more than a grid on it but each square that would be distorted would help me to sort of map out where all the distortion was so my next part of the job would be to get a flat grid, a sheet of paper with a grid, the same grid on it, and, and sometimes square by square, mark out where the distortion was so I would know where the face was, where the edge was, where the ear was. And I would end up with a rather peculiar looking um, 
sometimes it looked a bit like odd spaghetti, but it was, you know, it, it, it was a flat representation. Again, we we're talking about the Easter Bunny. You open up the foil thing, it looks all very peculiar. Well, my artwork would look like that, but I knew that it would, when it was pushed back again through the tooling, that it would all go back into shape. And Barnsley were very good and very generous in allowing me to do a sort of trial. So I would do a line representation with all the distortion and they would come back and put that through the tooling and I could see if how accurate I was and if there's any changes I wanted to make at that stage and that was amazingly helpful that doesn't happen anymore but once they were they were real craftsmen you know they were artists they really cared about what they were doing so I did a full color painting of usually in watercolor of the artwork um, increasingly more of the same size. I started doing it a little bit bigger, but I do almost everything same size now. And that would be photographed. And again, it would be printed flat, like like it looked on a sheet of paper, except it'd be on a sheet of tin, pushed through the tool. They would then curl the edge, so it's a, not a cut edge, but it's a nice little neat edge. And um, I designed the packaging for these things, and they'd pack it up in the boxes and send them to Hunky Dory's warehouses where he was so good at selling things, they would get sent all over the world. I had lots of people in Lyon and France and in Italy and you know people who came across them in all kinds of places. It's been, it's been a really rewarding life. I've been so lucky. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you'd just like to add for the, to just wrap the interview up? Is there anything that you'd that you'd like to say for this? It's the hardest question, this. It is the hardest anything question. Anything you want to say for the record? Anything at all? Um, you don't have to if you don't want. I, th I think the most conspicuous thing I'd have to say is just how much joy and pleasure it's given me. And, and without Barnsley Canister starting it, I mean, I worked with them until they were finally taken over by Metal Box. And even then I found a letter describing Metal Box having set up Barnsley toolmakers with a special studio in order to carry on making the shape my shape tins and they it's a handwritten letter which is something you don't see anymore uh, it was in 1991 I think and there's this whole detail about this Mark who was the toolmaker and there's another one I think called John who was had been set up and he was they did the teddy bear with on the pillow once that had the soap inside and they're going to work on the new ones, which is a cap shape, just an oval box with a, a, a better version of the sleeping cat, which is where I kind of started with Barnsley and ended with Barnsley with sleeping cats on, on a little box. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, I've, I actually had in my old neighborhood, I had people who used to call me the tin lady. I just realized there's a couple of people in my new neighborhood, I've been here for 30 years, who call me the tin lady. So um, I mean, I've done lots of other things and teapots and mainly children's books and, um, well, the ice cream wafers that Phil Mark, Mark Antonio did. Um, but there's an awful lot of stuff, different things that I did. But I, I think that's the thing that... And the children's books gave me a lot of pleasure, but the tints are really, it's really what I've done with my life. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your time and uh, for doing the interview. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed coming to visit you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>
thanks as always for listening to the Bowser Museum's podcast. We'll be back next month with more interviews from the archives. This time going a little bit further back as we mark the anniversary of the Warncliffe Wood Mall disaster in Carlton in 1936.